permission, should you choose to accept it, is to go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. To Roll for initiative. From the silver screen to the GM screen, Never Say Die asks, what can we learn from movies to enhance a role-playing experience? I'm Drew, game enthusiast. I'm Rafe Talsh, film critic. And today on our intermission episode, we are going to be taking a second look at 2011's Super 8. Of course, our last episode, we had both uh, Doug Lewandowski and John Gilmore uh, helping us out, joining us. What a conversation. Very excited. That was, dude, that was fun. That was. That was a blast. It's been really nice just seeing kind of the reactions, um, especially from them. Uh, They seem to have enjoyed it enough that they may want to come back. I certainly would have no issue with that. And it's been really nice kind of having Super 8 in my head. And now, after today, getting it out. Because I feel like (laughs) in preparation for uh, that episode and this episode, it's been a lot of Super 8 for about a month and a half. So I'm really excited to tackle this one today. Yeah, and we missed a lot. I mean, that's, this. you know, we we always ask with intermissions, what did we miss? And I mean, we missed a lot. And we we admitted when we recorded the episode, uh, we're going to push this to the intermission. We're going to push this to the intermission. So this might be a little more loaded of an intermission than usual. uh, Because, (laughs) heck, part of it's some of our regular episode stuff that we just didn't have time for, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. That was a fantastic conversation with those two gentlemen. Uh, and yeah, I don't have any qualms about having them back on again. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and you know, we we ran a little long with the last episode, and you say this might be a loaded one, and it, and it may very well be, but also I think it's probably safe to say that if we really wanted to, we could make it a little shorter and no one's really going to argue. But you know what? Why don't we go into it? Uh, Rafe, give us uh, the first thing that we missed. This is our second opinions. What is something that we wanted to cover, or you wanted to cover in the last episode, and we just didn't get around to it? Well, you know what we didn't talk about a single time, and I can't believe that we didn't reference it was it the soundtrack no i did i i mentioned the soundtrack yeah uh mint we didn't mention mint you're absolutely correct yeah the fact that they um admittedly that was a little i was i was way too young in the setting of that movie but i was alive at that point i don't remember mint ever being a thing so essentially they made up their own little slang word for charles in particular to throw around and i loved it like i i I thought that was fantastic. It, it gave the world a little more flavor. It felt very standby me to me that like this was an interaction between these characters. It was the truffle shuffle. It was the the ty- the thing that they had. It was mint. You know, it was fantastic. Well, we also didn't mention production values, right? Yeah, like, that's the other thing too. Charles gets both of the kind of the more iconic lines uh, in the, in the story because like when you think Super Eight, it's production value. The screen before the crash. Well, we we did mention it in that because that was my issue with the movie that that I did bring up is that you know it's not a very good kids on bikes story because their story is completely tangential to the actual story that's going on. That the actual story that brought people into the theater, the, the story that was advertised in the trailers, and what gets them tangential to that major story is the concept of production value. So we did bring it up in that way. But you're right, the term is thrown around several times. Uh, I think it's very important, as I will actually get to a little later. But uh, yeah, <laughs> sure, yeah, mint production values. Yeah, I do want to address one thing, just just a response to your previous statement here. I never hold 
the actual director and the film crew responsible for what is advertised in the trailer. Like we were just discussing as of the recording date, uh, Death on the Nile is being dropped on HBO Max and there's stuff in that trailer that was excluded from stuff that actually will be in the movie. You know, people make a choice on how they advertise a certain film. So I I get it. I completely understand your argument uh, and I agree with it. But I also want to say that I have heard many frustrated directors who are like, yeah, boy, that trailer gave away the whole plot of that movie, didn't it? You know, that kind of a thing. So I can't always hold them to. Yeah, I can I can see that. And I mean, to a, to a degree, you're right. And it's certainly, I will admit, it's a fault of mine. But if I am sold that this is an E.T.-esque type movie with an alien and that kind of stuff, and then the alien story is, is completely separate from our kids. And our kids really, as I said during the episode, they... If you remove the kids from that story, you can still tell the entire story of this alien crashing down and the weird effect it has on the town and the military trying to hunt it and all that. None of that has anything to do with the kids. They don't they don't interfere with they're just near it because of production value. That's kind of a little bit of a bait and switch in the marketing practices. And, 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 And I'll admit you're right. The director doesn't have anything to do with that. But I think someone of J.J. Abrams and Steven Spielberg's power, especially when this movie came out, could have looked at that trailer and went, no, and the studio would have had to listen. So, I mean, you're right, but I also do hold it a little against this movie. (laughs) Backpacks. Yes. I want to talk about backpacks. Okay. Um, Because, of course, you know, having the creators of the Kids on Bikes role-playing game with us to discuss this movie, it it was really, I was looking at my notes later, I'm like, how do we not talk about the fact that we see them pack their backpacks right around the midway point, and then throughout the film, they're pulling stuff out of their backpacks. Fireworks, flashlights, what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, perfect. Perfect, and the fact that they are not directly referencing uh, Super Eight in the in the role playing game that they created is really impressive. It's astonishing. It's because, <laughs> like, on my list of when I called it the you know kids on bikeiest kids on bikes film, you know they've got last day of school. I mean, like, really, we, we should talk about 1979 and how how many references are there for 1979. But like, you know, factory in Milltown. We, we have an idea of what its economy is doing. We have the suburbs. We have a graveyard in the backyard. Kids are packing things on their backpacks. Walkie-talkies. They have... And the movie walkie-talkies that work no matter how far away they are. Let's let's yes. be honest about that. I love those. Yeah, I know. I kind of feel like in the game they should have um, the ability to have walkie-talkies. Or for an extra point, uh, you can get movie walkie-talkies, which actually work the way you, you're explaining them. Yeah. You know, coming-of-age romance trials, uh, an iconic soundtrack. Yeah, I, it's really... Really, it's funny. I haven't watched it since we talked about it. Now it kind of puts me in the mood to watch it again. I need to stop watching movies that I've already seen. That's well, sort I tell of you what, Drew. This year. Yes. Before we are done with this episode, I'm going to give you another movie to watch. Tease, tease, tease. Oh, Rafe, I can't tell you how excited I am to have a, a new film to think about. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I, did I say think about? I meant completely obsess over. Right. Uh, Rafe... We talked very, very briefly about the kids' rooms. Yes. And I want to talk a little bit more about the kids' rooms because there's a couple of things in there that just blew my mind. Uh, We did mention, you know, that when I design or introduce a kids on bikes role-playing game session, I do like to start our characters off by showing them in their rooms and we can talk a little about them and, and as the rest of the players can kind of be introduced to those characters. But Charles and Joe both, we get these amazing rooms. They're 
very clearly fans of movies yes. uh, as evidenced by everything that's on their walls. We have a Halloween poster from 1978. We have a Dawn of the Dead poster from uh, 1978. What else do we get in there that's that was really cool? Oh, oh, Charles, very briefly, when he's moving to the site, we can see a picture of H.P. Lovecraft tacked to his wall. Right. It's one of those blink and you miss it kind of moments. And then there are two items that I was blown away by. And even though I've watched it four times, I haven't done the research, and I'm kicking myself now. Rafe, I think there's a Batman 14, uh, or at least an image of Batman 14 on Joe's wall. Really? Do you know why that is significant for our conversation? Well, I do, if I remember correctly. That is uh, kind of the the comic that takes center stage in uh, The Lost Boys, particularly in the sequel that we don't really want to talk about anymore, but yes. Yeah. Is there a Lost Boys reference in Super 8? I wouldn't be surprised. There may very well be. And the other thing, too, is um, Charles has one of the critters uh, on his bookshelf. He has a, a puppet of one of the critters. Now, critters didn't come out until 1986, I believe. So that's a little anachronistic. Nothing wrong with it, though. I mean, nah. I, I, Easter eggs uh, in a kid's room for like a two-second shot, I have no issue with. But I loved it. Um, just thinking about how those individual characters are presented by the environment they live in. Mwah, chef's kiss. Love it. Which just adds to my frustration. And it was a point you brought up during the regular episode, but it was it was on my list of things to bring up. But it adds to my frustration that we really didn't get to see the and we didn't really get to know the other members of the team. You know, yeah. you know, we of course of course we know that Carrie's a, a fire bug, but other mm-hmm. than that you know, you mentioned two other kids that we really don't get to know over the course of the film. And of course, by the third act, they're gone because they're not part of the adventure anymore. Yeah, Martin and Preston are characters that that we don't even really get much into. I mean, we, we kind of get more of Martin than we do Preston. So right. Martin Martin's the actor. He's, he's, he's sort of like, we get the idea that he's not jockish, but for that group, the, he's kind of has matured earlier he's taller than everybody else he's a little stronger than everybody else you know like i loosened it for you kind of a gag but i really like martin as a character i wouldn't put him on a team but i do like him as a a character watch and then preston i don't know anything about preston like preston exists simply to deliver that super eight to uh joe's dad right and And that was that was like i have in my notes preston didn't go leaves him behind to explain to deputy lamb who is preston question mark (laughs) The only thing that we know for sure about Preston is he is, in fact, a brilliant mathlete. If we were um, statting him, um, he does talk about going to math camp. Right. So, I mean, that makes sense, right? Yeah. Well, speaking of troping characters, yeah. we did add new characters to our team in that episode. Why don't we take a minute to trope those out so that we can add them to our team properly? Would love to. Uh, do you want to go first or should I? Uh, I can go first. Uh, I added Charles to my team. I already have Mikey, who's a scout, Pest, who's a funny sidekick, Edgar Frog, who's a conspiracy theorist, and Dr. Roberta, who's an adult overprotective parent. Charles is, of course, a filmmaker, and there's not really a trope in Kids on Bikes that captures that the way that I would like it to. So I'm going with a brilliant mathlete for him, Uh, and I'm just kind of, if I were writing this on my character sheet, I would scratch out mathlete and put filmmaker in there, brilliant filmmaker. Sure, yeah. 
and then I'm I'm giving his um his benefits are in, intuitive because you know he understands mm-hmm. those production values and skilled at production values. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, I mean one of the things I really like about Charles is he's a character who sees the big picture. Right. Um, He's, you know, I think if we were putting him in a different game scenario, he would be a mastermind, you know, that kind of a a character, a junior mastermind. Oh, junior mastermind. That's a really kind of fun class there. Um, Anyway. And then if I was giving him a flaw, I would would either go with insecure – because, mm-hmm. you know, when he gets into the actual romance storyline, he's he's completely insecure or possibly obnoxious because his entire focus is on this film while other stuff is going on with his friends. And he just seems completely oblivious to that. And he's being obnoxious about his production values. So one of the things about flaws that I really enjoy is the fact that um, there isn't a list of flaws that you have to provide because they don't actually ha- – they're entirely there for narrative and character-based uh, right. role-playing. So – I really like focused for um, both a strength and uh, there isn't a focused strength, but as a flaw as well. Like he has a kind of a one track mind yes. that I really I kind of dig about him. So I I had Alice. Right? right. So Alice is an interesting one, and even though I think it sort of goes against the way the trope is provided in the Kids on Bikes role playing game, I'm going to make her a young provider because I okay. feel like she has to take care of her father yes. a lot of the time because it's assumed that every time she appears with the car, he is either at work or probably at home, more likely drunk uh, and passed out. I think that makes sense for her and. Uh, we were talking about making her kind of a heart character, someone who kind of brings the group together, even though there's a certain divisive quality about when you introduce her to the group. I still think that in a long enough timeline, she will bring the group together. Like, I would like to see what happens to this crew when they're making their movie after this is done, and I can see them, like, her being a part of the group. Uh, one of the one of the gang. Sure, if they did a sequel, she would be part of the team at that point. And, and that's yeah. not a push for a sequel. I'm happy with this story. No, 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 no. This but... is definitely a movie that that is done. Yes. Um, cool under pressure. I think it works really well for someone like her who, um, when she fails at something, it potentially allows the group to benefit from that. I think easygoing too. Um, all things considered. Uh, you know, being captured by aliens, threatened with death, going through a, a situation where she's lost her mom. I think that applies well to yeah. to her character. So, I agree. I agree. And as far as flaws, I don't know, really. I think Burdened really works well um, mm, for yeah. a character who we see that moment. We talked about that scene where they're watching the Super 8 and she kind of unburdens herself with Joe. Uh, and I think that kind of works as, as somebody who has... She's been holding on to a secret for a long time that mm-hmm. has kept her from having certain relationships. I think that works pretty well. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. We frequently at this point in time in the conversation discuss related media. Yes. The problem is that this movie is wholly inspired by all the media that has come before it and has inspired a lot of the media that comes after it. And I feel like if we were to talk about movies that are similar to Super 8, we're just going to be describing films that we are most likely going to be going over in future podcasts. You're reading my mind. That was actually because I'm normally the one that pulls in the related media and um, everything that came to mind was like, no, I think we're still going to talk about that. I mean, we're almost halfway through our our season of Kids on Bikes, but I think most of the stuff that I would have pulled in for related media is stuff we're going to talk about. So I don't have any related media per se. Yeah, no, I I agree. I I absolutely agree. So what should we jump into next? Well, I, I did 
put off my Rafe question for Drew that I was going to ask during the episode. So let me Ooh. let me get that in. And it's not a mechanic question like I've asked in the past, but it is a DM question. Like, how okay. would you handle or would you handle type thing? Okay. And it, it's interesting because this, this question has kind of continued to propagate in my mind. I was talking with one of the players of my new group uh, about a week ago. He was kind of struggling with how to play. He's new to, to the game and was trying to learn how to play his character. And one of the things we were talking about is storylines, because I, I, I take a very storyteller approach to mm-hmm. running a game. And one of the problems with him not being familiar with the game is he hadn't come up with a backstory for his character. So I was trying to explain to him, part of the reason I want a backstory is so that he is pulled into the story. Like, if I just go right. with the characters that have backstories, then his character gets left by the wayside. I want that. And I said, at the same time, there is a world story being told that, in theory, you're a part of. My complaint, which I've already mentioned in this episode of Super 8, is that the kid's story is completely separate from the main story that we were led to believe this is. As I said, if if you take the kids out, you still have the story of an alien crashing on Earth and the military trying to find it and it trying to build its rocket to get away and it abducting people and pulling mechanical parts. And the kids are adjacent to that. Mm -hmm. My question is, would you ever take that approach in... A game where here's the story that Drew wants to tell, and you're just going to put your characters parallel to it instead of actually interacting with the storyline in a meaningful way. A thousand and ten percent. Yeah, absolutely. I would. You would? Okay. I would. I would. Now, I might preface that in the session zero that that was sort of the story that we were telling. But there's something really cool about not the oblivious nature of children, but like there can be world shattering events that happen. And the thing that kids are going to be focused on are the things that are important to them until it affects them. And that's exactly what happens with this story. I also really like the idea that it's taking them a long time to get involved with the mystery but the parts of the mystery are there. One of the things we did not talk about in the last episode, and it might be possibly one of my favorite parts of the film, is the disappearance of all the dogs. Mm-hmm. Uh, the dogs all disappear, and we get that one really cool scene where the sheriff is getting, they're getting all these calls of, of missed dogs because they're finding their tags, and they draw the map, and as if all the dogs just don't want to be in Lillian, you know, and they, they show. Like, that doesn't tell you how to defeat the monster. It doesn't tell no. you what the mystery actually is, but it's such a good building block to kind of setting that tone. And I like that. I like that that isn't affecting them, but it is still going on because we get that moment where Joe goes to put his poster up and the camera pans backwards and you can see all these missing animal Clearly that's the spot. Now that location, if we were playing uh, a game inspired by it, which of course, you know, that's the whole point of this. That would be a great location to give out clues. That, right. In fact, that might be one of the first clues. We also didn't actually talk about the dog either. You know, we, neither of us selected Joe as a character, but, you know, like Nanook and Sam, you know, you, you come with a dog, right? Like your right. your dog is a character. There's no way of, there's no stats for a, a companion animal uh, in Kids on Bikes, but there are in many other role-playing games. And so I think having a that character almost like a familiar right mm-hmm. at the beginning of the game and then at the end of session one the dog disappears that ca- that goes away and that starts to lead you to that next clue but nothing's happened to you yet and then you know the other thing is you've got joe's dad who is a police officer and he is more aware of what is happening right but because the two of them are not communicating again we only get a peripheral and i, I think that's 
a very workable story mechanic narratively, but it's something I would address with the players first. It's like, you are going to get involved with this adventure. It's going to take some time. The longer you can investigate it, the better off you're going to be. I would give bonuses for every session that they were actively investigating, but they didn't actively encounter the mystery. I would give them a bonus. So as long as they were having fun running uh, parallel to the problem, I would continue that for, I would say, two or three sessions until session four it becomes something, you know, in your cliffhanger, they they encounter it. And it's, again, you take the temperature of the room. If the, if the players seem to be enjoying that method of storytelling, you continue with it. And if they're not, then you become involved with it. But I do like that idea. I like okay. the idea that they don't have to immediately be thrown into the adventure. Especially, like I said in, in the last episode, I could have watched them just filming a movie for a 90 minutes uh, and never <laughs> having an alien encounter, never having any of that. Or even funnier, if they never became embroiled in it and it was just happening around them and we were getting a story of an alien invasion, sort of like this was the 2014 Godzilla where like a whole bunch of what's happening with Godzilla, we don't actually witness it. It's on the news in the background. Like it's, right. you can see these events. I like the idea that there is a world outside of the world you're, you're taking part in. And I think as long as the players like it, that's cool. Okay. All right. Well, let's get into something else we shifted from the last episode, which is we usually talk about the set pieces that we would want mm -hmm. to involve if we were running a campaign or a game inspired by this movie. Uh, and the reason we held the set pieces off is because we also you you suddenly were struck by this idea of statting a town, of creating a town yeah. with stats as opposed to just what we normally been doing for four previous episodes. So <laughs> however you want to approach it, let's talk a little bit about the set pieces that you want to see and how you would create a town with stats of some sort. Well, let me preface it by saying that the idea of statting the town is different in this episode than it would be for our other movies because we actively see the town members be aware of what's happening but not understand why it's happening. Right. And... The set piece of the town hall meeting where everyone is sort of de making demands makes a lot more sense if you have an idea of of kind of what it means to be those townsfolk. And so I want to talk about the set pieces first, which have nothing to do with the, the statting the town, but it, it does sort of build character for it. This one's interesting because we basically say, listen, you don't have to be playing Kids on Bikes to appreciate a Kids on Bikes movie. You could be doing D&D, &D, you could be doing Star Wars, you could be doing anything. Call but there are certain... Call of Cthulhu. Again, this is a perfect Call of Cthulhu. But there are certain set pieces that will give you this feel. And so what I did was I took the the locations in Lillian and then I kind of <laughs> I want to say I neutralized them. I basically described them in a way that you could you could put in any setting. But here's the first and foremost most important thing that you need to have if you're going to recreate Super 8 is something. Something has to have the word Kelvin in it. Right, so the Kelvin is in every single one of J.J. Abrams' movies. Um, right, in, right. In Star Trek, the it's ship the is Kelvin the Kelvin universe. It's the Kelvin verse, right? Right. But in Super Eight, it's the gas station. Is the Kelvin? It's, it's Kelvin gas. I think you have to have something that as a as a nod to it. If you know, again, if you're in that Dungeons and Dragons scenario I mentioned in the last one, you know, you could have a character named Kelvin. The entity could be known as Kelvin. It doesn't really matter. There has to be some form of town hall 
right, where everyone needs to meet and where this statted population that we'll be talking about in a moment needs to, to take. But like, you could do it on a spaceship. You could do it uh, in a future Blade Runner-esque city. Town hall, just a meeting hall, right? Like there's that's right. going to be anywhere, a central location big enough to hold a bunch of people. School. Yeah, I put in my notes, and that's I guess that's the closest I got to related media when I was taking my notes when I was watching the movie. I put in my notes, the school is essential, even closed. And in parentheses, I put Buffy and Stranger Things. Yeah. You know, yeah. The, it's, a, it's an essential location for these kids because that's their world. That's what they know. They don't, they're not going to be like regularly hanging out in whatever place you're having the town hall meeting, but they know the school. Yeah, and what I like about this film is we get a little bit of time with them in school at the very beginning, and then it's summer, right? So the time where you can actually go and make movies for for three months, but they make their way back to the school because right. like there's a reason for that. Yeah, so any kind of educational facility, I think that works really well. The train station seems to be the most memorable set piece in the film, and you can't have a train station every single time you do this, like because right. you know the crash is going to be there. The train station, for a generic term, is just the place where something crashes. <laughs> like uh, at some point in time, you're going, you're, and I'm putting in air quotes here, your train station. There's going to be an explosion. I mean, if you're on a ship, it could be the cargo bay and a shuttlecraft. Uh, breaks past the shielding and uh, crashes in containing whatever. Uh, it could be the carriage, the inn where the carriage arrives before the, the summoned magical demon escapes. Whatever. That's your train station, right? Like right. that. That's where you're going to get your production values. The water tower in this can be the highest point on your map, whatever your highest point is. It's something that has to be able to be seen from anywhere else in the location. Uh, your neighborhood is your home sector. We talked about the evacuation center a little bit, that third act where like suddenly right. the authority has control and they have moved the locals right. uh, to that location. And and that can, again, that can be fit into any kind of scenario. But I think if you're looking to populate and kind of reaffirm or strengthen that connection to this film, regardless of what system you're using, using those kind of set pieces, I think, will help to build those kind of aha moments for your players where they can make that kind of like leap go oh 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 i see okay i get this yeah yeah that makes sense i would include the kids rooms uh but you know we've yeah. already talked about that, that that's kind of sure. just a given oh yeah 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 of course yeah so let's talk about statting this is a weird thing and i had a lot of fun doing this and i feel like i, I hadn't <laughs> believe it or not i i don't have a reddit account or didn't have a reddit account i went on reddit i'm still trying to learn how to do it but I'm, i was there's such a knowledgeable gaming community on reddit yes that i thought certainly they're going to know if there's a game where you can stat populations. So I send it out there, but I'm also new and no one's responded to it, my request. Uh, I've talked to a couple of people who are fairly knowledgeable games, and one of them mentioned Troika, a game that I'm very much looking forward to playing and, and exploring, but I don't have a copy of it because it's a foreign game uh, and I want the physical copy and the $20 in shipping for a $20 book is a, a bit daunting at this moment for me. So if you are listening to this and uh, Troika sounds familiar or you have an idea of uh, a role-playing game that has already statted populations based off of what I'm about to say, let me know. Um, you know, drop us a line. You know, our contact information will be at the end of the podcast because I think I have a very, very, very basic little game bonus here, but I, I could expand it. I think it'd be kind of fun. And, and again, the reason we're doing this is for players to be able to make decisions on what the town is going to do in this kind of scenario based around like role-playing the masses. I think it's an interesting idea, especially yeah. since a lot of this movie is the kids not being involved until the third act, like right. having having the uh, different 
interest groups. So Town of Lillian in the film has a population of around 12,000. So just looking at that, first thing I wanted to do is I kind of wanted to have an idea of can we stat based off of population. So small or compact populations, those are really small towns under 1,000. So I'm, I'm labeling them a smaller compact. Crowded is 1,000 to 10,000. Lively is 10,000 to 100,000. Bustling is 100,000 plus, And thriving is populations in the millions. And I actually think that the bigger your population, the less influence a group is going to have because oh, yeah. you're, you're going to be, a, you know, one voice in a million isn't going to have nearly as much push. So if we're looking at the town of uh, 12,000, we're looking at like maybe dividing by 1,000. And so you can say, all right, we're going to have a population of 12. Depending on how many players are here, we're going to figure out which group might be the biggest. Um, and like, you know, one group might be worth three, another one worth four, another one worth three, and another one worth two. You know, so like grouping them by motivations. Gotcha. My motivations are, and please jump in if you have any others, uh, spiritual, financial, political, social, civic, and cultural. And one of the things I love about Kids on Bikes is it's uh, it's not a, I don't, maybe abstract is not, I'm saying abstract not in an insulting way, but that you can project a lot. Um, right. It's very subjective. You can throw your own ideas onto it very easily. So I gave you very generic terms, but I feel like almost any small town, even up to a large city, they can be designated into something along those six groups. Having grown up in a small community uh, mm -hmm. that was uh, – I'm going to be, a, I guess, politically incorrect here. I, I don't know if there's a politically correct term for it, but very, very hippie-driven. Mm. Uh, I would add ecological to your list. Ecological? Yeah. No, I like ecological. Yeah. I think ecological works very, very well because when you choose a motivation, you're choosing two of those – Right. One to be your prime motivation and one to be your lesser. So I would say that ecological would be the prime and spiritual would be the lesser. Does that make sense? Or maybe reverse yeah. that? Yeah. You know, you could say, well, what about the, the the folks who are worried about the kids' education? Well, that could be cultural and civic. Yeah, you know? cultural and civic, uh, yeah. You can do, what about the the police? Well, they're civic and possibly political. Political. Uh, yeah. the, uh, what about the banks or b small businesses? Well, they're financial, financial and social or so yeah you you give yourself plus two and the, what these bonuses are are when we position what we want the town to do we're gonna roll and then you add those bonuses but every town that has bonuses to motivations will also have negatives to it as well like a weakness so you'll choose a lesser weakness which is going to be minus one to any rolls and a um a negative two for a major weakness. So it might be that civic all is not going to be uh, ecological, you know, that kind of a thing. Or actually it would be like financial probably wouldn't be ecological. But what if you have an eco business? You know, like I'm saying, you, you will combine two that are benefits, combine two that are negatives, and then everything else would be neutral. And then you just label it. And I think at that point in time, you can then, if you make any kind of motion to as a group for society, if the four of you or five of you are playing, you can add those bonuses, roll, and then you work it like a you know majority wins, whatever the the highest roll is. Sure. Um, and this is not supposed to be like dictating the entire game. Don't look at this and just go, my God, you want us to play? No, we're talking about the town meeting and what the town wants to do in your game. I thought it would just be kind of interesting rather than having the uh, game master kind of railroad the players. Right. Players get a chance to to have like uh, the agency for the town and make a decision. You know, it's a little bit more work for the game master, but it also is kind of fun to get an idea of, of what a group might do. So 
No, I like that it for the last couple of days. And uh, I feel like there's a lot more you can do. Really what I was kind of thinking of is a one sheet game. I like the idea of town hall. And now I'm trying to figure out what to do on the op- opposite side of the, the sheet. Like what's the point of it? Right. So, yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, anything else? I, I do want to add uh, one last little bit about Super 8 before we move on. Uh, yeah, and that is just kind more of, as well, yeah. Because we like pulling back the curtain. This was originally supposed to be our test run. Uh, movie yes. that we were originally going to, you know, we had picked this as our test run movie uh, that we were going to do just to practice. It wasn't going to air. Uh, and then you started reaching out to potential guests and it was picked and we went, okay, well, I guess we got to pick something else. And we ended up on Goonies, which as we said, we did a test run and didn't like it and then did the real thing and it came our first episode. But this was almost our debut kind of practice run of this podcast with Super A. So I'm very curious what that would have looked like. Uh, if it had just been a conversation between you and I, uh, when I made that realization about the kids being tangential, you know, how, how that would have played out. But I, I'm, I'm happy with the way it played out. I'm happy that uh, we got to talk with them about it. Yeah, agreed. Um, and it's interesting, too, because when we started with Goonies, that was sort of the high watermark for kids on bikes movies. Right. And we've been comparing everything to them since. But if we had started with Super 8, which was something that I think I would have kept as kind of a medium, but I don't know what it would have been like not spending five months thinking about kids on bikes movies in such a kind of focused fashion that we have. What would have happened if we started with Super 8 right. as opposed to Goonies? But yeah, no, I think you're right. And that was the other point I was going to make as well as I have it in my notes. It's like, you know what? We should mention that Super 8 was, uh, was going to be our first go-to. So yeah. <laughs> All right, let's talk a little bit about what's catching our attention on various crowdfunding uh, venues like Kickstarter. That's usually kind of the part of this show that we do. Most of the things that I had that caught my attention, because let's be honest, there was a delay in getting all the ducks in a row in order to record our episode on Super 8. Most of the stuff that caught my attention has long since expired. I do have one thing, but I'm going to let you go because I know you have more than one thing. So why don't you go first? Rafe, do you like Faith No More? (laughs) <laughs> the band. The I, band. I, I, I enjoy Faith No More. Faith No More played a very important part in my er, uh, early musical uh, tastes. And the fact that there is a Faith No More role-playing game called The Real Thing on Kickstarter right now, uh, and as the time of recording still has another three weeks to go, I would love to get a physical copy in my hands. Uh, I will probably send some money their way, at least to get a PDF just to see what this thing is, is going on. So The Real Thing, the Faith No role-playing game a sentence i never thought i would say out loud on kickstarter now (laughs) (laughs) the other thing i want to talk about is on indiegogo yes we have i guess tangentially mentioned wander home uh by jay dragon uh on on one of our previous episodes it's pastoral wonderful game Uh, one i haven't played but i've i've certainly read through it um where you know you're animals and you're traveling from point a to point b and it's basically about forming friendships and kind of taking in your surroundings and having conversations and it's a kind of like a low stress kind of a game which you know these days i really can handle um (laughs) so jay jacket has a new one out now called ubeza's bed and breakfast it's an indiegogo game it looks uh as another one of my friends uh kind of looked at it feels it looks like it's gonna basically play like a spirited away and it's uh you know like running a bed and breakfast filled with uh mystical beings which sounds really fascinating and so i i've i've liked other games that jay dragon has put out so you know anything that they're kind of putting their name on i'm i'm certainly 
interested in. I, I don't know why they're doing it Indiegogo. They probably have, you know, a, a, maybe a beef with Kickstarter or, well, you know, whatever. Their, their reasoning is is their reasoning. Uh, so just pay attention. This interests you. It's going to be on Indiegogo, not on Kickstarter. Right. But I am going to bring us back to Kickstarter for the one that I have. That that one's also Please. been on my radar. You and I yeah. um, talked about that separately. That some we we both found out about that one, um, and it looks interesting. It looks interesting to me. The the one that I have uh, and I have backed. Uh, it doesn't have many days to go at the point that we're recording this. So boy, I better get this edited and turned around rather quickly, shouldn't I? Uh, <laughs> is called Griselda's Guide to Ghost Hunting. The oh, idea yes. of bringing paranormal to your fifth edition D and D campaign with ghost hunters, seances, media and haunted monsters. Now, the reason that this caught my attention in particular is because, as I said, I've been I started a new uh, 5th edition campaign, and when I created the world, I created this ghost city, this city that has been obliterated and nobody goes near, and my plan was, eventually the players will go there, and it will be kind of this ghost town, like, literally, and then damn if, like, Half the group didn't end up building it into their background, so they're going to be going there sooner rather than later. But Ooh. like, even just the the preview kit that they let you download had like a really cool ghost hunter rogue uh, specialization that was really neat. So it's it's got some really cool stuff, new monsters, some some interesting concepts that I really feel like for me will work in the campaign that I am currently playing so it may not be for everybody but i'm excited about it there was a third edition DD book i think it was called ghost walk uh it's you know been 20 years since i've i've thought about it of course uh but i really enjoyed the idea and um as you know uh one of the last DD games that you and i played together i think the last session we played before we stopped one of the characters who we've been playing with for like four or five sessions was revealed to be a ghost and had yeah. been a ghost the entire time. Uh, and only she and I knew that, which was super fun. And everyone's like, oh, that's why she never touched anybody. Or, yeah, that was cool. Yeah, I, I got to call shenanigans on you for that, by the way. Because it's like, oh, by the way, she's a ghost and has been the whole time. And that's why she hasn't touched anybody. And we're all like, boom, whoa. And then it's like, oh, game over. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like to end on a cliffhanger and then it how, how was i supposed to know that you know the group would dissolve anyway real briefly i because I, I you mentioned kickstarter things that that uh, have come and gone since the last time we talked about it did you put anything on over aisle the uh D uh, the, the role-playing game where you learn sign language while you're um playing I it didn't it was on my list it was on my radar and i didn't uh, support it. I did. Uh, we talked about it a, a couple of intermissions ago. Limitless Heroics, Better Worlds via yes. Dice and Disabilities. I have gotten a preview copy of that, and nice. I am really enjoying it. I have. That's um, so cool. I have shared it with a friend who is represented in the book, and I'm interested in her feedback. Uh, once See, that's uh, super she important to read it. Yeah. I did support the the game, so I'm quite excited to see how that that yeah. comes about. You know, that's the thing too is like I feel like the money I have spent during the pandemic has almost all been on games, like extra money, clearly, you know, bills and gas and food and such. But um, 
And I've been really trying to just support marginalized peoples and creators. And yeah. like the fact that you're, you know, it seems like uh, with spoilers, I guess, for the Academy Awards with Coda winning Best Picture, uh, you know, it's like it's kind of in the air. And I'm really kind of jazzed to see how this can be uh, kind of folded into it. So, yeah. Can I, can I can I bring up a quick quick little parallel tangent type thing? Something Please I just do. learned. Something I learned today. Okay. So, Troy Kotzer. Mm-hmm. Uh, won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, uh, first deaf actor to do that, second deaf actor of all time to win an Academy Award. The first, of course, being Marley Matlin, who was in CODA with Troy Katzer. I did not know until today, and I wonder if this news would have made the rounds had Troy Katzer not won the Academy Award. He's the Tuscan Raider that the Mandalorian encounters in season two, and he helped develop the sign language that the Tuscan Raiders use. Wow. Um, strangely enough, I knew that the Tusken Raider, the Mandalorian encounters get spoilers for the Mandalorian, I guess. Um, it's, it's tangential, but it's been a year since season two came out. I'm just saying. No. Oh yeah. Right. Mandalorian. Sorry. Book of Boba felt felt so much like the book of the Mandalorian. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Who was it? Glenn Weldon, who said that he took the book of Boba Shvet off of his shelf and the slipcover came off and revealed that it was Mandalorian (laughs) 2.5. Right. Right. I knew that the the, uh, Tusken Raider was deaf and they had developed it, but I didn't realize that that Troy Kotzer was that individual. So that's really cool. I knew it was a deaf individual. I knew they had gone authentic casting with that, which I respect. I appreciate that. I did not realize it was that actor. (laughs) For those of you at home are going, why are they talking about this? Remember, it's also a movie podcast. Yes, that's right. All right. So speaking of, (laughs) hey, let's, uh, let's, that's a perfect segue. Drew, it is time to get Super 8 out of your system. Shake it off. (sighs) Completely remove it from your system. I don't want to completely remove it because I really did enjoy it. But, but please. No, I'm sure we'll refer to it again like we do. But it's time to announce the next movie, our sixth movie in this season yeah. of Kids on Bikes. And I have no idea what I'm picking. Oh. <laughs> I have two. I have two. You have two. I have two. I can flip a coin. I can roll a die. Um, well, I, I want to I get your take. One, okay. I pick, I'm picking in response to this movie – because my complaint about this movie being the main storyline is tangential to the kids. This movie is all about the kids. There's almost nothing separate from them. Okay. The other movie is of interest to me, but I have not seen yet. <gasps> and so Ooh. both of us would be going into it blind because I'm pretty sure you haven't seen it either. Interesting. Ooh. Okay. It's very tempting. All right. Uh, thank you for, for bringing me into this thought process. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one more thing out for you. Can you give me the genres aside from Kids on Bikes? But like, is it a Kids on Bikes horror film? Kids Advice Adventure? Kids, kids on Bikes, bikes horror? Uh-huh. And Kids on Bikes fantasy. Fascinating. <laughs> we have not done Kids on Bikes fantasy yet, have we? We have not. No, we haven't. And I, I'm just going to let you know, I'm pretty sure I've got at least – Two Kids on Bikes horror films on my potential list with six more to go. Okay. Could be the one that you're talking about. Yes. So, again, no harm, no foul. Right. Well, then let's go with the fantasy. So, in that case, we are going to be watching 2019. And I find that interesting because everything I've picked so far has been nostalgia-based. You've mm-hmm. been like, let's pick the contemporary stuff. So, 2019's The Kid Who Would Be King which I have not seen, you have not seen. It has Patrick Stewart playing Merlin, so I'm excited. (laughs) Well, you know what else is cool about that? Same director as Attack the Block. 
Yes, it is. Yes. Yeah. And I noticed and that so too. He's only done two films. I have it in my Blu-ray player <laughs> right now. Are you kidding me? I almost started watching it last night. Oh, wow. That's coincidental. Yeah. I have been looking forward to seeing this. Yeah. I'm. So my real hope, because one of the things is, I, my hope with this one is that they are mundane children and not super magical powered children. But yes. Based on what I've read, they are. Yes. I'm, oh, Rafe, I'm so excited about this. Clearly, I'm excited because I, <laughs> I was started watching it last <laughs> night. Um, yes, this is great. This was potentially going to be my next pick. Uh, I kind of got so excited about learning your pick yesterday that I, I kind of jumped, almost jumped the gun. Well, I'm glad I didn't. Um, I'm glad that we're both going into this blind. Um, so that should be really interesting based off of how much I liked Attack the Block yeah. and the responses I have heard from people whose opinions I respect. I think we're both in for a treat with that yeah. one. I'm looking forward to it. That is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So you can join us in two weeks, hopefully, for our discussion of The Kid Who Would Be King. Until then, you can find this podcast on all podcatchers. Drew, why don't you tell them where they can get in touch with us? Yeah, well, you can email us at the never say die podcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at Never Say Diecast. It is a technically closed group, but it is open to anyone who wants to join. You just uh, say, hey, I'd like to join, and you're automatically in. We're on Twitter at Never Say Diecast. And yeah, so that's that's uh, how to get in touch with us. And I've been setting up a Discord for about two months. Uh, I just oh. need to actually, like, put the link out there for people to join and like I have one last thing to do to it so we'll have a discord sooner or later uh, special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song and Megan Daly for our show artwork and remember even if your backpack isn't filled with anything useful never say die never say die